0: Thanks. Please have a seat. Yes, our God is indeed great. Let's, uh, let's pray to him. Dear Father, we just thank you that we can come before you in prayer this morning as a church meeting in your presence. We thank you for your son, Jesus, whom you sent to live among us, to die for our sin and to rise again so that we could be forgiven and live for you, not for ourselves. Father, we pray for those who are not here this morning, whether they are away due to illness or other reasons. We pray your blessing on them. We think especially of the Barnes family, Father. We continue to pray your blessing on Sam and Joe and all the kids as they settle in with Story. As Andrew's already prayed this morning, Father, we just pray that you would be at work with the the feeding issues and we just ask that you would provide all that they need and would resolve that and, and Story would thrive and grow. Father, we bring before you our concerns with work, family, in the wider world or anything else. Sometimes these things can just seem impossible to us, Father, but help us to remember that whatever is going on or whatever we're going through, that you, the God who sees every sparrow fall, made us, loves us and cares for and about us. We pray that your Holy Spirit would make this great truth known to us. Father, we pray for our leaders and for all the people working behind the scenes while Sam and Jo are away. Thank you for their gifts and willingness to serve you and us. Bless them as they work to grow our corner of your kingdom. Finally, Father, we pray for Carol and Bev as they come to share with us this morning. We thank you for what you have given them to share with us and ask your Holy Spirit to enable them to do so faithfully and boldly. Give us ears to hear and hearts to listen, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.
1: Um, is new to me, not new to me really, but it's many, many years since I've been able to actually stand up and um, share some of what God has placed on my heart. So I count it a privilege to be able to do that. Um, My topic is, as we start this wonderful series on the kingdom of God, is Jesus said, my kingdom is not of this world. Um, And there comes a time in everyone's life, I believe, when we begin to ask those really big questions like, why am I here? What is life all about? Is there more than this? And where do I find meaning and purpose? One of my very favourite devotional writers refers to the kingdom of God as a giant loom. And that giant loom is the the loom on which God seems to weave all things together, for his design and purpose. Uh, And I think we should have a giant loom up there somewhere. This is actually a carpet loom, but it gives you just in a miniature an image of just how a loom actually works. I love the fact that when I look at that loom, I see lots of different colours. I see the dark ones. I see the bright ones, the soft ones. Um, and and yet what is made at the bottom of all that is an amazing Beautiful carpet, and I reckon for me, I might be that tiny little black spot there, right on that that edge there, um, and that might be part of my life. But I am part of God's amazing, amazing loom, um, and I'm going to look at three ways um, when we finish. Just think about that loom just for a little while. We'll leave it there for a bit, but I'm going to look at three ways in which. Um, we can understand the concept of the, of the kingdom of God, uh, but Matthew actually describes it quite often uh, as the kingdom of heaven, not the kingdom of God. Um, the, there are two ways which are biblical, and the third way I'm going to share are just some of my early encounters with God when I was just a teenager. Uh, and so two are ways I will be biblical. In the Old Testament it became the rule of god versus idols which neighboring kingdoms called gods it was a theocracy where god uh, was known to them as yahweh I'll probably do better with these on god was known to them as yahweh he was the ruler of his chosen people and he made known his ways through the law given by to moses the prophets and the tabernacle system of worship But yet from the beginning, in Genesis, when he created Adam and Eve, it was always meant to be a relationship, not a book of rules. It was always meant to be a relationship with him. As time passed and the family of men developed, uh, there were people highlighted in early writings like Noah, Enoch, Abram, uh, Joseph, and many more, that are, if you know your Bibles, which I know many of you do, um, in Hebrews 11, they were all listed as people of faith, but not just people of faith, but people who had a relationship with God. Well, as time passed, the family of man um, continued in this, every now and again, there were people who had this relationship with God. So when actually conflicts occurred with other nations, the Hebrews called on Yahweh, that was their name for God, um, to deliver them. And we see many examples as how um, through the Old Testament where Yahweh answered their prayers and, and from time to time embarrassed their neighbours. Um, because they were calling on their gods and there was one particular instance where we're actually told that they said, well, has your god gone missing somewhere? Uh, We won't say where he was, but um, he was missing at the time, so he hadn't turned up. But then I want to look at some examples uh, in the Old Testament and the two of them are going to come from Daniel. I'm just going to get a glass of water. About 600 years BC, some of the southern part of the uh, Hebrew nation were taken into captivity by the Babylonians. The book of Daniel records that four of these godly young men were especially chosen by King Nebuchadnezzar to be trained in their ways. How little did they know what was going to happen to them. Um, I am reminded of my husband who at, at... the age 13, um, was actually taken by his father to a boarding school and dropped at the front gates with his father, with his huge um, case here, a 13-year-old. I'm not sure whether you wore short pants then or were you allowed to wear long pants. I can't remember. But there he there he was standing at these gates of this huge boarding school in England. Goodbye, son. I'll see you in 13 weeks. Um, you know, that's a the sense that these amazing young men who were chosen but they were transported, that's only a mini idea of the the sense of abandonment um, that these young men must have felt leaving their homes and being sent to Babylon from Jerusalem to Babylon to actually sort of just sort of learn a whole new system. They were going to be trained in Babylonian ways and three of those fine young men and most of you know the names of these, and I bet if I had the kids here, I'd say one was called Shadrach, and they'd say Meshach and Abednego, um, that those those young men actually were, their faith was put to the test because um, the cost of their, um, they would defy the order of King Nebuchadnezzar to actually set up and uh, he set up an idol of himself and that they had to bow down and worship him. Uh, but their disobedience, they said, no, we're not going to do that because we do not worship this God. Um, and so they were uh, shown, uh, thrown into a fiery furnace. Um, and uh, the scripture there is from Daniel uh, 3 and it's verse 16 and 18. And their reply was, If we are thrown into the blazing furnace, the God we serve is able to deliver us from it. He will deliver us from your majesty's hand and even if he doesn't, we want you to know that we will not serve your gods or worship the image of the golden idol that you have set up. What an amazing statement. Um, There are Christians, you know, in many parts of the world today that face that same kind of decisions Uh, and they are... Um, incarcerated for that very reason because they uh, have refused to um, serve another god or uh, a kingdom which is a kingdom of idols Um, and the amazing thing is that God saved them from the furnace without even a singe mark on their clothes and we know that there was also in the story there was a fourth man seen in that fiery furnace God was with them and they were totally exonerated and uh, and saved. But the story I really want to highlight is in chapter 6. In a later period, the administrators of Darius the Great, who was then king, uh, were very jealous of Daniel, who was the fourth young person who was uh, transported from Jerusalem. Um, the only thing that... that that they could do to discredit him because he was very respected uh, within the actual um, community uh, was that he was a Hebrew and he continued to pray to Yahweh three times a day because that was his normal devotional lifestyle. So, they devised a way of accusing him of not being loyal to him, to Darius, by showing his devotion to that god, to his god, and not keeping the instructions that um, Darius was actually tricked into making a decree that um, no one should actually uh, worship uh, another god or pray to another person for at least uh, 30 days. Well, of course, you know, they kept watch on him. And, of course, he opened his window, looked towards Jerusalem, and he did actually pray to his God. So if you know that story, you know that Darius was completely devastated by all of this. He realized that Daniel had was an offender. he's no way he could retract his word. Um, and yet, Daniel, thrown into that lion's den, just was totally confident. And he was going to stick with what he knew to be true. He knew that he trusted his God. And so Darius then said, sent him um, to the lion's den and uh, he said to him, May your God, whom you serve personally and continually rescue you, and you know the story, he did. He was reinstated and the credibility was given to Yahweh. I love this statement of Darius's after he was rescued by God. It's in Daniel 6, 26 to 28. I issue a decree that in every part of my kingdom people must fear and reverence the God of Daniel for he is the living God and he endures forever. His kingdom will not be destroyed His dominion will never end. He rescues and saves. He performs signs and wonders in the heavens and the earth. He has rescued Daniel from the power of the lions. So Daniel prospered during the reign of King Darius and the reign of Cyrus the Persian. It just was an amazing story how God actually not only saved him but reinstated him to a place of honour and he ruled over much more than just one little area um, of um, of Babylon at that stage. So basically these Old Testament um, stories and, and, and statements are actually there to remind us that God's initial purpose when he created man, that they would live in a relationship with him and in his care, that the kingdom of God is not of this world, it is so much bigger than the individual stories that are placed um, in, in Scripture and in, in the world that we live in. The rule of God was continually shown in the Old Testament to be stronger than the rule of man or the rule of any king. Um, the rule of God was powerful. And then there's some New Testament examples, a couple of examples But the main one that I want to lean on is when Jesus made this statement in John 18, 36, he said, My kingdom is not of this world. From the first New Testament writings of Mark and Matthew, uh, the kingdom kingdom of God or the kingdom of heaven began developing. Much to the disappointment of those who were waiting for the Messiah, Jesus indicated it was neither a military or a political kingdom, and we do need to keep that in mind today. It's not uh, we can't change it politically, and we can't necessarily change it uh, in a military way. But people do try to uh, to do that. Um, but Jesus said it was not of this world. John the Baptist calls out to those that are following him for repentance, baptism, as he sees um, and he sees Jesus coming. The kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. The coming of Jesus was a tangible expression of the reign and the rule of God. The unseen became visible in Jesus. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation, Colossians tells us. Let's go back to the statement, my kingdom is not of this world. Um, Let's show the passage um, John eighteen thirty three to 37. This was Pilate's examination of Jesus. It's quite a, a – I can read it better. Um, Pilate actually, when you, you read that scripture, you can see that he says to Jesus, are you king of the Jews? Because that's why he had been brought to him. Uh, and Jesus said, is that your own idea or did others talk to you about me? Am I a Jew?" said Pilate. "Your people and chief priests handed you over to me. What has you done? He was not a Jew. He didn't know. But Jesus said this statement, and that's the one that is just so powerful, "My kingdom is not of this world. If it were, my servants would have, would fight to pre- uh, prevent my arrest by the Jewish leaders. but now but my kingdom is from another place. You are a king then." Said Pilate. Um, I just see that scenario, and you just realize that Jesus made it very clear that if that kingdom was of this world, those people would have been absolutely lining up to say, You cannot cannot kill this man, you cannot arrest this man. But no, that was not the case. Um, it, it, It just, Jesus was telling. Uh, telling them something that they that they just had no way of understanding at that time. It was uh, a kingdom that it was not of this world, not part of their concept. I think perhaps for me the most um, we can move on from there to Hebrews. The the contrast between the old and the new testament is really laid out so strongly and clearly in Hebrews twelve. And follow along with me. There are two different types of of ways of relating to God. You have not come to a mountain that can be touched, that is burning with fire to darkness, gloom and storm, to a trumpet blast or to such a voice speaking words that those who heard it begged that no further word be spoken or the sight of which was so terrifying that Moses said, I'm trembling with fear. And then we miss a couple of verses and it goes on to say, But you have come to Mount Zion, to the city of the living God, to the heavenly Jerusalem. You have come to thousands and thousands of angels in joyful assembly, to the church of the firstborn, to the names that whose names are written in heaven. You have come to the judge of all the spirits, spirits of the righteous made perfect, to Jesus the mediator of a new covenant. Therefore, since we are receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken. Let us be thankful and worship God acceptably with reverence and awe. What an amazing statement uh, is made. But then finally I just wanted to share some of my personal encounters with God. During my teenage years, um, I gradually began to start ask those questions. You know, why am I here? Uh, What's life all about? Is you know is there is there meaning and purpose? I went at twelve or thirteen to um, a Ray's Methodist camp. Any old Methodist here um, that know? It was just a girls a girls um, Christian endeavour or that type of um, camp that we got together. And a man called Arthur Jackson, who was a Methodist minister, was the speaker. Um, it was at Nanyara, so I began my spiritual journey in the hills. Uh, ...a long time ago. Actually, that night when we were we had a night meeting... ...he asked us to consider taking Jesus' son... ...Jesus, um, God's son, um, into our lives... ...to ask him to reveal himself to us... ...and trust him as our saviour. Well, my, my heart at 12 or 13 responded... ...because I wanted answers to these questions. Why am I here? What is this all about? Um, and I became aware of God's presence in that room and surrounding me so strongly. That night I sat on top of my bunk uh, and looked over the city of Adelaide. There were, there were uh, dormitories and I just happened to have a bunk which was right by the window. And there were no large trees in Nanyara then. Um, and I just sat there and I just thought, this is so much bigger than me. This is so much bigger than me. And I sensed the presence of God so powerfully that when I went home after that camp, my mother said to me, what's happened to you? You, you, you look different. Um, and, and I knew that I had, I had asked Jesus into my heart, but it was just so much more than that. It was I, I just felt like I'd stepped out of one world and into another. It was a real moment for me. As the years passed, the family changed churches. Um, my mum was miraculously healed. I uh, began to sa- sense that sense of call. It was around about fifteen, from about twelve to about fifteen. There wasn't um, uh, the church that I was attending uh, didn't reinforce my um, my um, connection with God. Um, and so eventually I was baptised. Now, that was quite an experience. Um, and then I was filled with the Holy Spirit with the evidence of speaking in tongues. Um, I, I then went to another camp. It just seems to me that, you know, um, camps are a great place when you set aside time to just be with God. Um, I went to a youth camp at Victor Harbour. And Ken Chant, Barry Chant's brother, was older brother, was the guest speaker I don't think I'll ever forget that evening when he told us the story recorded in three three of the Gospels, Mark, Matthew and Luke, of the woman who came into the gathering with a bottle of perfume tucked behind her, snuck into the – and then finally uh, sat down at Jesus' feet and, um, and poured oil on his head and then also, um, you, you know, wiped – her, his feet with her tears, uh, no, uh, wet her uh, her his feet with her tears, and then wiped them with her hair. It's a it's a lovely picture of um, Jesus um, receiving that just so graciously. Well, Ken's challenge was that she had given all that she had to Jesus because she knew. Um, he had shown her a very different way to live. It was the kingdom's way. It was it was it was the kingdom that was not of this world, um, and she could be forgiven because the story was that she was a woman of the street, um, and that she knew that her lifestyle was not that the lifestyle that God would wish for her. Um, but Jesus just so happy to receive her gift of love. And, um, and Ken said to us on that particular night, and I remember it so well, I'm not going to ask you to come for prayer. I'm not going to ask you to come for counselling. Just go and find a quiet spot and talk to the Lord, talk to God for yourself. So I did that and I battled for a long time. Would I really give him my all? Everything I planned for my life, and believe me, I had plans at 18. The dreams I had, would I give it all to Jesus and let him be the ruler of my life? Well, that evening changed for me from just seeing Jesus as my saviour as the 13, 12, 13-year-old to being my Lord. It was for me another not-of-this-world experience. I spent hours out in the out from the camp building we had a big tent and, and uh, there was just bushland all the way around. Um, none of us, you would not remember Victor Harbour like I remember it in those days. Um, but, you know, I was there with God and I really did battle um, and I just knew that I had to just, I had to surrender all of my plans, all of my dreams to him. Um, I believe that he in that time really really transformed me from um as um, colossians says from he rescues us from the kingdom of darkness and brings us into the kingdom of his son it's a, it was a process perhaps over those period of uh, 13 uh years from 13 to about um 15 17 18 These encounters with God informed my early understanding that in making Jesus my Saviour and my Lord, I had stepped into so much more. I believe as we live following the kingdom way, we find the answers to all of those questions. We find our identity, our meaning and our purpose. So for me, that was a transfer of Jesus from my savior to my lord but much more than that i i also have understood as years have gone by that um, God's loom, giant loom, on which He weaves the pattern of our lives, is uh, is at His doing, at His um, the way He puts it all together, um, and the pattern of our lives and the weaving that takes place is really only only freely enjoyed and understood as we recognise and gives that give ourselves. We we actually, it's an old fashioned word, but surround surrender to the ruleship or the lordship of God in our lives. Um, and this has become a, a special quote for me. Uh, it's by Charles Spurgeon. Just think for a moment when you go to put your head on a pillow at night and rest, you know, that um, the sovereignty of God is the pillow on which a Christian can lay their heads. And that is so true. When you know that there is a God who is in charge of your life and he wants nothing but the best for you, you can truly, truly rest because um, you can go to sleep uh, and know that all is in his care. So I have to ask you that question. Can you do that? Can you lay your head on the sovereignty of God and say all is well And no matter whether it's the dark bits in the pattern that's being woven or the bright, happy bits or the subtle bits where you don't really know what's happening, can you lay your head on God's pillow uh, of sovereignty and know that he really has actually everything under control? So just finally my, my heart would say, from my heart to yours, can you find the space... To spend time with God, wrestle with Him, and find the peace that comes only from a life that is surrendered to the rule of God. Thank you. That's over to Carol.
2: Oh my goodness, wasn't that special? Uh, for those who don't know, you don't know me. Uh, my name is Basil. I mean, Carol. <laughs> um, Uh, That will become clearer as I speak. I could actually just rip up my message now after the kids talk, uh, but sometimes reinforcement helps us, doesn't it? Um, In a weekly staff meeting, the boss was complaining that he wasn't getting any respect, and this greatly concerned him. Later that morning, after airing his grievances, he went out and got a small sign that read, ''I'm the boss,'' and he taped it to his office door. Later that day, when he returned from lunch, he found that someone had put a post-it note on the sign that said, ''Your wife called. She wants her sign back.'' (laughs) (laughs) Can I ask the question, ''Who's the boss in your life?'' Bev has certainly touched on that through her message. May 3rd is noted in our daily devotional because it began a new chapter in my faith journey... We were asked to consider what, it, um, what is meant by the term the kingdom of God. In both the Old and New Testaments, the kingdom of God is his rule. The answer to the question is the kingdom of God is the rule of God anywhere. This means the kingdom is about sovereignty, as Bev said, uh, rather than territory. The kingdom where, is wherever God has absolute authority, not how much territory he holds. The kingdom is the rule of God anywhere. Those words stopped me in my tracks as I remembered the words of Jesus. The kingdom of God is within you. And very quickly the question came, how much is God ruling that part of the kingdom in me? Back in January I realised that this was something the Lord wanted to deal with in me And it might have had something to do with this card I gave to Richard on our anniversary a few years ago. (laughs) It's meant to be tongue-in-cheek, but I was very clearly the boss in my own mind. The Lord showed me how strong my self-will is and that he wanted it to change. And it's a truly shocking thing when the Holy Spirit shows you who you really are without him. To be honest with yourself, to allow the facade to be stripped away. One of the things I realised is that I am quick to pray for the Lord's blessing but very slow to obey the verses that tell me to be a living sacrifice, to die to self, to be prepared to take up my cross daily. It shocked me when I read Jeremiah seventeen, nine and 10 that says the heart is deceitful above all things and beyond cure. Who can understand it? My heart deceitful? Above all things, beyond cure, the Lord whispered that it is only beyond cure if I insist on doing things my way. And I think possibly the hardest thing to surrender is the need to be in control and to be right. And I'm sure Richard is pleased when the times I do give up the battle Reading and praying about it became a mission as I truly believe that dying to self is essential for kingdom living. Friends gave me books about this issue and I was encouraged to learn that many people are grappling with it at the moment. The church is the kingdom in miniature and I believe that the Holy Spirit is refining it, making, ready, making it ready for the work to be done before Jesus returns. The Holy Spirit is working to prepare the beautiful bride for Christ. He wants the world to see what the church is like when we do live together under the loving rule of God, as in the book of Acts and as Sam has been showing us. We have been entrusted with the responsibility of extending God's kingdom on earth. And that is an awesome thing. Over the last two months, the Kingdom of God has been covered in considerable detail in the daily devotional we use and I know several other members of the congregation also read Every Day with Jesus. The only way to become a citizen in the Kingdom of God is through repentance and faith. As Bev said, by being rescued from the dominion of darkness and brought into the Kingdom of the Son, he loves. Kingdom citizenship can't be passed on to us from our parents or from hearing about it every week in church. It can only happen through that radical change that occurs when we receive Christ as our personal Lord and Saviour. But that is not a once-and-for-all change. Our journey in the Christian life also requires ongoing repentance and faith, asking the Lord to forgive us for the sins we still commit and for the ongoing filling of the Holy Spirit. It is vital that we also understand how much we need the boundless grace of God, just like Basil did. Otherwise, we can get trapped in the downward spiral of trying to make ourselves better people. It is also important to remember that Jesus knew we would continue to sin, even though we have been born again. Because of that, he ministers now in heaven as our High Priest – and prays for us there and I think that's just amazing to think of Jesus praying for us praying for you the journey for the past five months has involved learning what it means to die to self I'm still learning about it I'm making very small progress with actually doing it everything I have read has given me a broader understanding and a deeper desire to decrease in my self-will so that Jesus can increase in me But I know without a doubt that I have only touched the tip of the iceberg. There is still more change, much more change needed. But rather than feeling unworthy, as I would usually do, I have actually felt blessed to be included in the restorative work of the Holy Spirit and that is a big step for me. I was reminded that God disciplines those he loves and he is so incredibly patient in the way he does work in us. Something I read just a few days ago really spoke to me. Christianity is not a narcotic that dulls you into obedience. It involves battle. It's excruciating to give up control. But that is why we must not feel despair if we are struggling. To struggle does not mean that we are incorrigible. It means we are alive. And when we arrive in heaven, we will be able to say, yes, there were real struggles... But by God's grace and his presence with me in them, Jesus is my Lord. No one will ever love you like Jesus does. No one will ever know you better or care for you more deeply for your wholeness and your health, your spiritual health. And he is not intimidated by past failures, broken promises. He will make sense out of our brokenness. And as transformation happens you become more truly yourself. And I am becoming the authentic me that I was created to be instead of the me that I have created. The change comes not by trying to do more or be a better person or a better vine like Basil was. It comes by doing what we sang about in the kids' spot a few weeks ago, 2 Peter 3.18, to grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ and the emphasis has to be on grace. And my heartfelt thanks to Sarah for her prayerful ministry uh, to the adults as well as Kathy and the others involved in the kids' spot, but for Sarah that day uh, for the way it, uh, it actually ministers to the adults as well as the kids. And to grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ means growing in the good knowledge of him, not me. I don't have to strive for it. I simply have to receive it. And this happens most effectively as I spend quality time with Jesus, really considering him. And the Webster's Dictionary defines the word consider as to gaze upon something or someone steadily and reflectively. That's how we see who Jesus really is. Listening for Jesus' voice is also important, which of course comes through reading the word. And I'm just amazed at his peace. I feel when I do just stop, sit and listen. And it's a blessing to know at times I don't even have to speak. That's a new thing for me. The more I set my mind on Jesus and on heavenly things, the more naturally inclined I am to do things his way, not my way. And then I see change happen. Little by little, I am becoming more like him. Very little steps understanding is coming that it is about choices and it involves little decisions almost every day whether I'm going to do things his way or my way and I think this can be a greater test sometimes uh, than asking for help with big decisions because I'm then I'm more desperate and willing to obey but it's the everyday decision to take down the barrier of self-centeredness and the need to be in control that has to start before he can speak to me and make changes in me. A very small example of this is when I was given a Koorong voucher for my birthday and before I went shopping I prayed to the Lord that he would pick out the right book for me. No Christian novels caught my eye. I looked for a book that Bev and Marguerite had both recommended but it was out of stock. In the spiritual living section at the back of the store on a table set up for the sale... There it was, elevated on a stand, right in the middle, almost at eye level, I couldn't miss it. Uh, and it just seemed obviously to stand out from all the others. And it is called Deeper, and it's by an author I had only recently read, but I knew that was that was the book. And I cannot emphasise enough how exactly right this book is for me at this time. As I looked at the inside cover, the key scripture verse was 2 Peter 318. Grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Have you got it yet? Uh, To me, that was like God was using a megaphone to get my attention after singing the song Only the Sunday Before. And as I had a look at the inside cover, the introduction said, Sanctification does not happen by doing more or becoming better, but by going deeper into the wondrous gospel truths that washed over us when we were first united to Jesus. When I was first united to Jesus, I remembered the verse in Revelation 2 uh, that says, You have forsaken your first love. Remember the height from which you have fallen. Repent and do the things you did at first. And we know, don't we, what it is like when we first fall in love. And we would do anything to please the one that we love. But then the romance cools a bit and uh, life takes over and we go back to being our true selves, rather selfish and not as attentive as we once were. And I think it's very possible that we treat, can treat Jesus the same way. I also remembered going forward in an altar call when I was 17 when I gave my life to Jesus and we were all singing that beautiful old hymn, Just As I Am and i realized that jesus had accepted me just as i was with all my sin but now i was trying to make myself more acceptable by all my self effort i had to repent and do the things i did at first to remember how simple the gospel message is and that we can add nothing to it by our own efforts and the one thing sorry and one of the things i read in my new book it reminded me ...of how much Jesus hates the sin of self-righteousness. And if we try to make ourselves righteous, then he died for nothing. And I realised that I had been on very dangerous ground. After struggling on by myself for so long, it's no wonder... ...such need of transformation by the Lord is needed. And it can seem like a hopeless task to try and change some of these things... And it will be hopeless as long as we try and do what we think is best. When we do that, we are an easy target for the enemy and he takes full advantage of all of our weaknesses. And a quote from A.W. Tozer, a very famous Christian writer, adds another layer of understanding to this. The secret to overcoming the devil is to hang on to the fact that Christ is in you, the hope of glory. Christ is in you, the hope of glory. He can't handle, the devil can't handle the one to whom I am joined. The devil can't handle the one to whom I am united. And the devil can't handle the one whose nature dwells in my nature. So this is what I want to remember always, that Christ is in me, my hope of glory. Dying to self is a process that will continue for my life. And I imagine that we are all at different stages along the way. But I can say with complete confidence that he who began a good work in us will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ, until Jesus comes back. But it is also a fact that all that God is doing within us is not just for our benefit. There is a far greater purpose in his view as he works for change in his church. And we have an opportunity at this time to demonstrate kingdom living. When other kingdoms are in turmoil and so much around us is being shaken, we can show the men and women of the world that although we react to tragedies with the same shock and dismay as they do, inwardly we are possessed by a core of calmness and poise that nothing can shatter. Christ in us, the hope of glory. Amen.
1: Thank you, Carol and Bev. That was amazing. Um, We're going to finish the service
2: with a song, so if you'd like to stand with us, thank you. I love you, Lord,
1: oh, your mercy
2: never fails me. With every breath that I am able, oh, I will sing of the goodness of God, and I will sing of the goodness of God.
0: Thank you, worship team, and uh, thanks everyone for coming today. Thank you, Bev. Thank you, Carol. And I think what I really take away from your messages this morning is that this kingdom of God is thousands of years old. You know, We see in the scripture this kingdom talked about, but then it's something personal, isn't it? And it affects our lives. And uh, that's what I really appreciated today as well, was the personal testimony about this kingdom actually is affecting us day to day. So thank you guys. and We look forward to the rest of this series about the kingdom of God. So stay warm. Have a great day. God bless. And uh, please feel free to grab a coffee. Uh, join us in the prayer room if you'd like prayer for anything. There'll be people there. So God bless you. Have a wonderful week. Thank you.
1: So